Hello, everybody, and welcome to our epic X-Men reread here on Crushing Comics. I am here with my friends Tyler and Freya, and we are reading X-Men from Giant Size X-Men forward through the classic Claremont years. For Tyler and I, it is not the first time, but for Freya, it is. So we are having the great experience of seeing it again through the first time through her eyes, although she is not a new mutant anymore, folks. She has no. read several hundred issues of X-Men at this point. She She's even as mean as most X-Men fans are. She's really growing yeah. into her role. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've completely embraced the X-Men fan persona. Yeah. Like, and hating yeah. it all, right? You have to hate <laughs> yeah. You got to do a little bit of gatekeeping. You got to hate it. Not really. We're not yeah. and, uh, and then, you know, I also have my favorites. I also like, like, what, like, you know, have um, complaints about, like, oh, that character would never eat that. Like, you, you need know, a super obscure favor to complete the, the journey. Like somebody yeah. who never, ever turns up. But then when they turn up, you're like, well, the issue is good because. Mm, oh, okay. Well, there. I think I'm I think I'm getting there. I think I'm getting there. You know, but I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll chat more we'll about, chat about yeah. that. So here's a few things for you to know. In this episode, we're going to cover Uncanny X-Men 122 through 124. It's their classic first encounter with Arcade. We're also going to talk about backup stories in classic X-Men 29 and 30, which fit just after this story. Technically, we also could do Marvel Team-Up 89 here, but we're going to save that for the next episode for reasons. And if you're trying to file along, this is all based on the reading orders that are on my site, crushingcrisis.com. Uh, they're part of my complete X-Men reading order of everything from before the Silver Age all the way up to Avengers vs. X-Men in 2012. I'm actually working to revise and expand it a little bit right now to make sure that there's nothing missed. So it takes you through every issue, not just as it happened, but in a comfortable way to read it so you're not switching mid-issue, which I just don't find to be very fun. I don't know. Maybe mm. some of you out there like that content. Before we start talking about Arcade, though, I thought it'd be a fun chance to talk about our favorite games, right? Because Arcade... He could just kill people. That's an option. But instead, no. he has this elaborate boring. murder yeah. world where he tortures them for fun and he guarantees their death, which we really never see. His kill count is very, very low in the history <laughs> of comics. So I thought this would be a fun chance to just talk about what some of our favorite games were either as a kid to play or games that we now play as an adult. We've already talked a little bit about Dungeons and Dragons, so we'll table that one. Yeah. Freya, do you have a favorite game or a favorite so memory of gaming? Right. So the thing is, like, when I was young, like, little, I used to play, like, you know, video game, but those were, like, not video, like, you know, they were played in the PC. Nothing like what you can see modern. Because now, now if you look at them, you like, as if you were controlling people. But back then, it was those little pixel thing. So Hocus Pocus was one that was my favorite, which is pretty much this little thing just running around and you're grabbing a bunch of white balls. You're and doing then, a side-scrolling oh. side game, right? Yeah, is that that's what it's called? Like, yeah. Yeah, and then you reach the end. Yeah. Um, the one that Prince of Bra Prince of Baghdad is that the one? The Prince of Arabia. There was yeah. another which one which at the time seemed like so cool, mm. but now you look right. back at the graphics and you're like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then and with that one, I think I never went past like a fifth level of something because at that time I didn't know cheats like that you can look up or anything. But the one that I played so much, and then it was a very interesting thing because it would be me playing it and my sisters would be around me. Is Sims, and then we would. <laughs> we would create these families in the house and everything. And sometimes we would get mad at my sister because she was hogging the computer for too long. So I would log in as her and I would kill her family by putting <gasps> them in a, in a bathroom and not let them pass. You so, yeah. murdered your sister's Sim family. 
Yes, I did. But she also murdered mine. So, you oh, know, well, it's... That makes it okay. Yeah, that makes it okay. <laughs> like, it was like a revenge. Um, but apparently, sims have also now come so far. Because at that time, you couldn't have, like, a family of two mothers or two fathers. But now you can. And so I was like, oh, how far team... Uh, like, you know, how far things have come. I haven't played more modern sims, though. But that's just my, you know. So, yeah. So that was my story. <laughs> Tyler, what about you? Do you have a game story to share with us? This is going to age me quite a bit. <laughs> when I was growing up, there was like no computer games. <laughs> because... Oh, yeah, there were I mean, I didn't have a computer until I was yeah, in high school. I didn't have computer exactly. games. So, um, I mean, um, something that is a little bit more nostalgia, nostalgic for me would be um, Chinese jackals. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you know what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing that is um, that that's nostalgic for me because I think that is one of the first game that um, I played with my sister and my mom. So my mom taught me how to play, you know, when I was really young. And uh, yeah, I mean, my, my dad didn't play because he was working all the time. Um, I mean, I, I did not grow up like rich or anything. So my dad was working uh, pretty much... Um, long hours and 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 he was he was working overseas too so um on an oil rig or something uh like that mm. so so I, I didn't i mean he will come back like every three months or so and then spend like two weeks with us so yeah but i think um yeah nostalgia wise um it, it is like um chinese checkers nice i often think that i'm like exactly the right age to really remember the progression of games because i was never we didn't have much money and at one point were quite poor as a kid and so i never had like the newest system when it was the newest system mm. but i would have something that like my dad got from a friend or something so when i was a kid i still had like the original atari with like the little joystick and the one yeah. button you know so yeah. i remember playing even though that had been around probably since the late 70s i'm not quite that old um to have had it when it came out but that's the point and so when i think of my initial favorite games it was like joust i could play joust for an endless amount of times those little pixel birds and the little pterodactyl would come and you had to get it like right in the mouth with the with the jousting thing to kill it and it'd make this noise like this little pixel scream uh and so you know i and then i was around through nintendo and super nintendo and etc yeah. etc but i think um you know i think of going to arcades of course i think of the classic x-men arcade game with the six players because i was addicted to that but i also there's this game i never remember what it's called but it had a paddle like a, a spin wheel and you had to bounce the um the ball off of it to kind of like shatter all the tiles up at the top oh, and I okay, just okay. I was obsessed with that because at the time it wasn't like you could have a specialized controller at home so even if you yeah. had a game kind of like that on your Atari or whatever it didn't have the little spin spin wheel the way that you could have at the arcade yeah, so if yeah, I yeah. saw that in a bar or an arcade do you know what it's called Tyler? Yeah um I can't remember the name but I know what you mean but I it's played like, it too it's like the brick uh, you yes. destroy yeah. the brick brick block or something like that so it's like kind of like an anti-Tetris yes yes and you I know, remember, it's like a negative Tetris. Yeah, because you're trying to like, and you have to, you can't let the balls fall, but sometimes you get extra and sometimes you can like shoot little lasers and stuff. Right. And I remember I would play with my dad, but I was not coordinated enough to do the side to side thing. So we would just always try to get to the point that you get lasers. So I could just like pound the laser button and then he would just do the paddle back and forth. And that's like one of my big kind of going to an arcade game memories as, yeah. as a kid. So we're here to talk about these X-Men issues and we're talking about games, of course, because of arcade. But issue 122, 
doesn't start really with Arcade. It kind of winds up at the Arcade story because it starts out with Colossus in the Danger Room. It actually has a super iconic cover of Colossus um, mm -hmm. with this hydraulic vise that's closing in on him that a lot of times Colossus figures actually will come with like a part of this because it's just one of those really, really classic yeah. Colossus uh, puzzles and or, or classic images. And the whole theme is that Cyclops is trying to push him really hard, but Colossus is being resistant. And so Wolverine, in a new development for him, takes interest in the training, goes down to the uh, danger room and basically just sits in the middle. And he's like, well, you're either going to make it work or I'm going to get squashed. Yep. <laughs> what do we think about Wolverine taking an active interest in Colossus's training? Um, this is like the, uh, um, the birth of Wolverine, the teacher. You know, it that's is why really. Keep, it's the first time we ever is. really see that. Yeah, I mean, I keep on saying that make him the teacher for younger mutants um, rather than have him run around. But you know, this is this is the why because he actually makes a good teacher. I mean, his method can be a little bit questioning at times because it's like, okay, what if Colossus really could not do it? Then you know, he would be squished. You'd be okay, buddy. But we know what you can do. But you know, he he would be squished. So I mean, that's one of the reasons. Like, I think I really this issue I really liked it because of that because it was like just a personal interactions and then you know mm -hmm. there's a downtime they're doing some things and stuff like that getting phone service back in the mansion uh that mm -hmm. is important uh so they're doing that kind of thing and um so yeah so from that point of view i think i really liked that and then you know there was this whole uh you know toolkit that got handed to him it's like okay now you go fix it i'm like well yeah. you bring the right person to fix it <laughs> i don't know about that and then he so, has yeah. this like fuming thing on on his head, on top of his head, like yeah, like it's angry, it's like yeah, yeah. So the so yeah, and then also this is um, it feels like this is also first time that you know, I mean, not necessarily the first time, but Colossus start also start to question his um his existence as an X Men and also his um yeah. like you know doubt about Mother Russia and all of that, which we're gonna talk a little bit later more about it. But I think um. Mm -hmm. It was balanced well between the two things, like between the two characters. Yeah. I mean, he was feeling a little bit homesick, I think, Colossus here. Um, so they were playing, that. yeah, they were playing that that particular angle. Um, but, you know, um, what struck me as, um, I mean, this is this is classic um, Claremont, right? Because you have so many things going on at the same time with different characters. And each one gets a little bit of snippets here and there. And uh, some of it, you know, will not um, resurface until a while later. But um, that's, I mean, that's what he does really well. And um, I think the other thing that he does that goes, when he does something like that, the transition from each scene to, to the other also works pretty well. Like it's I not love how he does that. He's like, he doesn't just say meanwhile. He actually yeah. like will make a sentence that that starts in the previous page and kind of ties into the other plot and the art maybe reflects it a little. Like there's this beautiful transition here of Cyclops, you know, talking to Colleen Wing, but his mind maybe is elsewhere and, yeah. and it fades into the side of his face being the field of stars. And then we go to the Professor X story. I love that. And it's very Claremontian. Yeah. So I, 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 mean, I, I and, noticed that too. And that's why I think, um, yeah, I mean, not to spoil it, but like, you know, the, the two writers, the two current writers that sort of emulate him in this in this respect, one does it much better than the other. Um, I think mainly because the transition was much better, was handled much better by one, one writer than the other writer. So, yeah. 
So we do transition here into another scene, which is Professor Xavier in space, right? Because he thought all of his people were dead. Yeah. And so he, you know, Jean went off on her uh, rejuvenation, live, pray, love, whatever vacation that she goes on. And Xavier goes to space to just be the the holy consort of Lalandra as she retakes her throne. Yeah. And so we get some really interesting material here, just a page of it, of Xavier kind of not having a place. He's so used to being in charge of things. He's so mm. used to being the smart one. And he's kind of just like a kept man here in space. <laughs> Freya, what did you think about Xavier the consort? Um, Xavier the, actually... the space gigolo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the thing is, I think it it's uh, more it works better with the classic X Men backup story. Uh, I think mm. thirty or thirty one, mm -hmm. like one of the like. You know, I think that th this scene literally translates into that, and I think that once I read that, then that it kind of made more sense. But I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of vacation. I mean, just take it <laughs> as it is. Um, but at the same time, I was like he left things unfinished and i'm like oh that is such character like an on point character moment like you know it's like it's always xavier's like that he leaves everything unfinished and then just goes off like i'm like yeah well there you are <laughs> i really like it like um like just how it's one page and then you sort of understand what's going on and you get this like um sort of uh unwritten kind of uh like, okay, we know how Xavier is feeling. And then it's just quickly, we just like, okay, let's go on to the next scene. Speaking of going on to the next scene, we have a scene of Jean now having finally landed in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And uh, she runs into this person on the street, Jason Wingard, who wants to help her with her packages. Now, we deliberately skipped a classic X-Men backup story in yeah. classic x-men 24 because we wanted to see this scene first and get first. closer to the phoenix saga we're still yeah. not talking about that story no. so at the time this is where you think this is happening first claremont later mm -hmm. kind of installs more Insert. runway yeah. uh, freya having not read the rest of it even though you do know who this character is what did you think of this uh this man and his awful mutton chops who who flirts with gene on the street here like what, did, I, I what did, how does this that scene I... come off but I feel bad, though, that I kind of know who this is. So I don't want to spoil mm. it for people who don't. But the thing is, in a recent issue, uh, we saw this character. And, and, and then I kind of looked up what this is. Then I remember the name. And then I'm like, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, gee, no, don't talk to him. Run. So... So it was kind of, it all kind of went into that. Um, so I was like, oh, man, I wish I didn't know. But now I know. And well, now I'm like. Yeah, and then, but and like, then, did you notice yeah. the shadow? Huh? Did you notice the so shadow? Did, did you yeah, notice the shadow? Yeah, 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 I did. Because I was looking for this kind of thing, you know, because mm. I was looking for uh, like clues because of the name. So yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm like, ah, you know. So I think it's kind of fun in that way because I already yeah. know. So I'm looking for these things already. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but then we also saw the two fishermen or boatmen. They're yeah. looking for their friends. Yeah, Angus McSquirty. What is his name? Mc, McWordle. Yeah, what, Mc, yeah, whatever the yeah. McWordle. Yeah. Who knew that, the, that the bigoted boat renting guy was going to continue to be such a plot point throughout the entirety <laughs> of classic Claremont X-Men? I mean, uh, as of right now, there's like three issues that we talked about this guy. Mm -hmm. um, oh, but it's yeah, not the end either. 
Oh, no, yeah. I know. I know it's not the end either. Um, but then, yeah, so and then also, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I like, you know, he was... Um, so, yeah, so there was this, all of this, and then it's like, oh, the some he's a handsome devil. I'm like, Gene, no. Girl, no. That's... No. That guy with this weird mutton... No. Come well, on. Well, those thoughts may not entirely... Or she might not have seen what we saw, necessarily. Yeah. Oh, you know, the character okay. does mention... Uh, the Hellfire Club, and I think what's interesting here is is even if we don't know who he is and we're playing coy here, although you probably know as listeners, mm-hmm. it shows that someone else is interested in Gene and Gene's level of power. And clearly somebody else who's been reading the headlines understands that X-Men are still around because surely that adventure in Japan made headlines. And so the world doesn't think the X-Men are, are dead. Mm-hmm. Only Gene does. But Gene has kind of been like separated from the pack right now. And there's other people who've noticed her level of power. And I just think yeah. that's, you know, we're still a bit ahead of that happening. But, you know, Claremont's seeding some stuff that's really going to come to fruition 12 or more yeah. years from now. Um, but the thing is, like, um, that's why you should read newspaper. Because none of these people know anything. Because, and that's actually something that I was also kind of thinking about. I'm like, do they not, like, you know, no connection, nothing. They're just here. And it, it, I mean, I don't know. I mean, in modern world, it probably wouldn't have worked given that yeah. you're all connected to your phone and stuff. But I guess. No, but, point. but like, even when you are in, say, for example, you know, for, for the two of us, Feria and me, we are in we are in the United States. They don't really report international news. Yeah, but at the same time, we do <laughs> listen. We do find, like you know, giant news, right? And that was a big news, international big news, right? Yeah. So that's what I was talking about, you know. Mm. And oh no, I mean, but oh. it all depends on like what kind of news you listen to, right? Yeah, like, true. If let's say you only listen to the local news. And you, you, you. I mean, you, you scan headlines. Even nowadays, like the headlines, they they localize it for you, so that you, True. unless you specifically seek international news, you probably don't, you know, know much about that. Well, we're in an uh, right. environment no, now where knowing all what news we... is much yeah. more curated, right? Yeah. Like, uh, right. No, but the, knowing the what we news... know. Yeah. No, no. I'm just saying, knowing what we know about Moira, she should probably done a better job. About news. Yes. Well, That's you know, Mora might have had her own reasons not to tell Jean that the exactly. are alive. So, uh, so now we come to the plot that I think maybe takes up the most space here. It's strange. I don't have mm. a lot to say about it. Storm decides she wants to revisit her childhood apartment, which is like the kind of thing they do sometimes on Behind the Music, whatever. I remember Madonna one time went back yeah. to the apartment that she lived in New York, and I understand that. Or like Paul McCartney with James Corden went back to his his house. It's just a thing that famous yeah. music superstars do, and also Storm. And so Storm <laughs> goes back to her apartment uh, that she lived in with her parents until the age of six or, or however old they were when they went back. Uh, to their home in Egypt. And um, I, I, she it's a bad, it's a worse neighborhood now. And it turns out that it's a drug den and everybody's yeah. in there shooting up and Storm is besieged by druggies. Uh, and she, she can't handle herself, but luckily Iron Fist and Power Man show up. Or actually just Power Man, because this is Claremont right yeah. in Misty Knight with all Misty the Knight. black characters. Claremont's, Claremont's giving it to us because fans demanded it. 
probably like, I'm sure there were probably letters at that time that were like, don't all these black characters know each other? I'm like, oh boy. So, <laughs> he, so he gives it to fans and we get Luke Cage and Misty saving Storm from the drunk mm-hmm. Does anyone yeah. have anything they want to say about this scene? Knowing what, you know, how her relationship with Morlocks right later in the round, I'm like, this is the start of that? Is a question mark? Like, this I, is kind of where she gets the, kind of like, you know, an idea of it. I think it's, you could argue that mm-hmm. it's Storm understanding more about the class system of America. I mean, she's been very much on the campus this whole time. Yeah. And she, she to her, it's this land of plenty. Everybody wants her to put clothes on. And this <laughs> is one of the first times that she's like really having to experience that there's people who are left behind. Does this get explicitly referenced with the Morlocks? I, I don't think so. No, but I don't But you could that. absolutely, talking about her emotional arc, think of this as like her rude yeah. awakening to the kind of seedier underneath part of American mm-hmm. life. I don't know, Tyler, yeah. what do you think? I mean, I th- I thought this was just like um a com a social commentary somewhat mm. somewhat of that time um and I definitely noticed that uh, uh, Claremont uses like three um African American uh or, or you know black people in in this scene um and the other thing I was also paying attention to was um uh, how many names that 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 they could scribble onto the walls. Because I think they they scribble a lot of like creators uh, probably you know the Marvel uh, Marvel bullpen like every everybody's name is like somewhere there on the walls in different panels so right. yeah but but thank God not all the drug pers- people no were black people yeah thank God for that <laughs> like, oh okay well, so this he's, is like he's, this yeah, is like a mixed race drug den he's sensitive enough I think to not to not do that I think. Right. Yeah. Um, also, I think without having done much historical reading to prepare for this, I do think it's somewhat of a commentary too on like the social class aspect of mm. the drug abuse that was in New York. So you have to think that Marvel's offices were in yeah. New York, and so like all of these writers probably had a lot of opinions about this mm. kind of thing. You Definitely. Know? And yeah. and they want to kind of insert what New York is really like for the rest of the country to see. And and this is Claremont doing that. Yeah. Right. It didn't feel out of place, though. It also didn't feel out of character for Storm. So, you know, so from that point of view, I'm like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, he, he definitely, they, they definitely fit in quite nicely. And it's a downtime. And she's, like, really trying to explore her heritage and everything. So Right. What is out of character, though, is li- giving a key to, a, oh, to your friend's what? boyfriend. Like... That you know that is alive. I know. Ladies or gentlemen, don't do that. (laughs) That She's like, don't ah. open this until I get on the train. And so Colleen Wing gets on the train and Cyclops opens it and it's a key to her apartment. Yeah. And it's like, uh, drop by any old time. Well, what if you're not there? Like, you know, this is not the era of faux cell phone. Like, how, how do I know that you're going to be there or not? I mean, I don't know. That whole thing, I was like, oh, I I, I mean, yeah. This, it's just like it only can happen in fiction because in real world, it will never happen. Because So this actually proves that up with all the phone, fixing phones and everything, he never brought up Gene once. He never talked about Gene 
once or he never said that i'm so sad that she's dead like or i i miss her so much then jean will be uh, like sorry then um colin will be like well, really why do you miss her like well, you know what's going is, on this is also like, like this is also uh, like the point where where cyclops is getting a little bit more relaxed yeah my question here is is colleen better for cyclops than jean should, should should we be shipping Cyclops and Colleen all this time? No, don't don't put Cyclops on Colleen. Like she doesn't deserve it. Like, but I feel she, like he's like a because, mellower person with her, and yeah. not because she's like fixing him, but because he's like allowed out of this insular world, this X Men only world where every mm-hmm. conversation has to do something with the X Men. Right? It's like don't date your colleagues. Or do you think it's because uh, Professor X doesn't have a hold on him anymore? Oh, you think because Professor Xavier's not there giving him anxiety dreams? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Like, you know, because Professor, no matter where he is, he's just intruding randomly, giving him orders randomly. And now he doesn't have that anymore. Think of all these so, X-Men who, like, really thought that they had ex- intrusive thoughts all this time and probably had their own therapy sessions with Professor Xavier, who's like, oh, intrusive thoughts, that's really concerning. And really it was just Professor Xavier, like, randomly just sending them little <laughs> bursts of images to make them all think that they were, you know, not well. And and then and then they get away from him. And they're like, gosh, like, I really feel like I'm under control right now. I'm not having, like, all these problems thinking about things just popping into my head at random times. No, it's just because Professor Xavier's in space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then, and then, you know, Tyler and I know about a little bit. We were raised by Asian moms. So, you know, when we kind of went on to live our own, we're like, hmm, things yeah. feel a little less <laughs> stressful. So we kind of know. We are speaking from experience. Uh, But I don't know. I mean, the whole thing with the keys and everything. I'm like, yeah, maybe she is better for him. They are better and whatever. But it's just like, it's not reconciled well. It's not. not. It presented in such a bad way that it's like. And then same issue. Wolverine is like, Merrick was in town? What? Like, Yeah. What about Jean? Yeah. I'm like, does anybody (laughs) think about Jean? I I just like it because Colleen has the agency. It's not like Cyclops pining for her. It's her being like, listen, dummy, here's my key. Yeah. You can come over. Hmm. Right. No, no, no. I absolutely agree from that point of view. It's perfect. But it's just like, she knows she's alive. Like, you know, from that point of view, it's like. That's a a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. I really wish they just. I really wish they didn't. She didn't know. You know, then it would be fine. There's only one relationship in this issue. That's gonna last forever. Oh, and people are meant to be together. Yeah, nobody's ever really going to come between them, even when they're separated. And that relationship is between the Black Tom and Juggernaut. Oh, Juggernaut <laughs> has apparently fished Black Tom out of the sea, where we last saw them. Yeah, actually, maybe he's appeared elsewhere. I, I didn't check Juggernaut's chronology in X Men anyway. He was in the sea, and they've decided they're not going to try to fight the X-Men directly before. They're going to use Black Tom's wealth and resources to Mm -hmm. hire somebody who perhaps could be more competent than two of them. Spoilers, that's not the case. (laughs) And uh, the person they hire is the carrot top of the Marvel Universe himself. That would be Arcade. Uh, In a really fun reveal, where Arcade has made up a custom deck of playing cards. It's part of his marketing budget, right? You hire him and he makes all this collateral. (laughs) 
He's like, I've got, you know, I've got game pieces and collateral. He's really selling a full fantasy. He's like a full yeah. service marketing agency that's designing literal alternate re alternate reality games. But I think he's better at the marketing agency part than he is at the game part. Honestly, he really should just be marketing for other villains. So he's got all these game, all these cards of the X Men, and he's like, and they're going to be dead. And so this brings us into the arcade plot in the next two issues, uh, which starts out with the X-Men are uh, just out and about doing their thing. It seems like it's mm -hmm. going to be another downtime issue. And mm -hmm. they're basically hoovered up by like a trash a trash truck with a with a <laughs> vacuum hose on the back of it, which Spider-Man recognizes from his run-in with Arcade. Uh, yeah. And then also, you know, some of them go to the opera and the whole box of the opera is lifted out by helicopter. <laughs> Uh, Banshee just gets shot with a dart. That's no fun. Storm yeah. gets shot with a dart. Mm -hmm, but, but so Arcade, again, he is good at some things, good at marketing, good at capturing people. He should be really selling these services to other villains and just getting yeah. out of the murder world thing. You got to play to your strengths. You know, there's this thought in business, like get stronger at your strengths. Don't try to make all your weaknesses stronger. Be just good at the things you're good at. He's not good at murdering people. Let's just put that not out. Not at all. No. Not at all. Um, but I mean, this this whole two issues was like, okay, whatever. Like, I mean, you know, you, you, maybe the readers at that time didn't know. I know that they're going to be fine, <laughs> you know? So it just like, it wasn't the best. I mean, it's it's just, it is. Yeah, it's just a I thing. mean, these, these two issues is Claremont and Byrne reminding everyone. It's like, hey... We did this whole run about Marvel team up. <laughs> it's time for you to go find them and read them because it's like Spider Man appears in, in the beginning of this arc, and right. Arcade appears because he captured Spider Man and um who's that uh, Captain Britain, Brian. I, the human. I mean I don't know all the background here, but I um I kind of assumed it was because that was popular. Like, that the people wrote in and, and wrote letters that they liked Arcade. I would have to go back ah. and look at the letters pages from Marvel Team Up, which I don't think have yeah. been republished anywhere. Letters in the Masterworks? I do have Team Up Masterworks, but they're not that far. Anyway, yeah. answered. Uh, that uh, that I assumed that he was like, oh, Arcade was fun. Like, let's bring them to this other, let's bring him to X-Men. And people will be like, ooh, Arcade. Mm. I don't know. Pure conjecture. Yeah, why uh, but I thought it was a fun, like really fun. I mean, they 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 even put in like you know, um, Doctor Strange, uh, uh, uh home, there. Um, what's that? Um, Centaurium. Yeah, Sectum Centaurium. Yeah. Yeah. I so, guess. Um, there's only really one or two interesting things to talk about in here, but mm -hmm. it's fun. I mean, it's 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 again, this is only Arcade's second appearance. This is the first time people are seeing this. Now we're jaded. We've seen a hundred yeah. villains put people in pinballs at this point. <laughs> like it's not inventive. But at the time, this was cool. It was cool stuff. And uh and it does lead to a couple of fun moments with the X-Men mm -hmm. where they've kind of been challenged specifically. You know, Wolverine in the funhouse mirrors is kind of funny because it's like what is what can Wolverine do against a challenge that's purely a mental challenge and he can't use his tracking and there's nobody really to slice up. Mm -hmm. Storm, you know, gets played against the claustrophobia and also to just be in water where she doesn't have air, which uh, is, and a lot of these challenges, by the way, are uh, repeated in the Super Nintendo game of Spider-Man and the X-Men against Arcade and the Storm challenge here is recreated very faithfully in the game where she's like stuck underwater and you can only get up and take like a little <laughs> breath at a time. Uh, speaking of games that we played as kids. But the one really interesting plot beat here i think is the challenge he sets forth for colossus 
which is yeah. not a physical challenge, but a mental one, which he's not quite up to. He basically has somebody impersonate an agent of Homeland Russia and be like, you've got to come back home. And basically does maybe some hypnotizing, but also a fair bit of convincing to Colossus mm -hmm. that he has a debt to pay to his home country. What did you all think about this plot beat? That was the most interesting point of this, but could have been done in half an issue. You know what I mean? Like, or could have been done with, I don't know. I mean, it just, so I recently read a story called Carpenter's Tale that was written by Paul Denny and the, in his Batman omnibus, which is pretty much from the point of view of the carpenter who builds the murder world. Mm. And that is so much more fun to read than this. Like, you know, that was actually fun to read because, you know, she actually puts in things. She's like, oh, I don't want Batman to die because then I have a debt and all of that. Um, and then, you know, she kind of puts in things like how they can fun run away. So, and that was kind of more fun than this. But this is, I'm like, oh, another one of those, like, oh, I'm trapped. And I feel like we've seen this in the carnival. We've seen this in like the Magneto's, you know, thing. So it, it felt too recent for me yeah. to actually you know, get anything out of it other than the Colossal story. Because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so that's the the doubt and everything we saw at the beginning of 121, right? Like that's the that's the issue number. Yeah. So one sorry, 122 Two. is coming in play here. So I think that kind of makes made it better. No, so I agree. what did you think? I mean it, it it is a little bit similar to how Mesmero managed to nap the X-Men so easily. So it's just like X-Men cannot have downtime <laughs> because every time they try to relax, they get like captured somewhere by someone. Um yeah, but I mean um this this um the second issue, um that means uh Uncanny X-Men uh one twenty four, um is actually the very first classic X-Men issue that I picked up. Oh. So, so, so you have that, some affinity for it. Yeah, so there's a little bit of like um nostalgia there and because it's like the first time I get introduced to um I mean, well, not the first time I read X-Men because I've read a lot of X-Men um before I started buying classic X-Men. So, but it was one of those stories that I've never read before and um I kind of enjoyed it. Um yeah, but I can see how a lot of these things is just like, oh, you know, it's just it's it's just a kind of like a nothing story, so mm. it's just a fight, and um, Colossus is definitely the um, the only thing that is um kind of um significant here. Well, I so I have a three. Why don't you go, and then I have a few thoughts on on all this. No, I mean that's the thing. Like it would have been nice if we haven't seen that whole thing played again and again over the last World Tour issues, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just like a same thing. It's like oh, they go somewhere. It's like oh, we're gonna fight, and then it's like, oh, we know we didn't fight good enough. And like no, now we're gonna fight good, and then yeah, we're done. And then this uh, like an arcade lets them go, and then it's like oh yeah, you were you were not you were good or the opponent. Here you go, you know X Men One Arcade Zero. I'm like okay. Sure. I mean that was a little bit strange. The, the ending right. where I can basically just let them go, put them into one big ball, and then just roll them somewhere. Yeah. Yep. I would say I have a comment kind of on that, and then stepping out of that into Colossus. That mm -hmm. you know, early in this X Men run, and really, in my opinion, right up until one sixty, there's like three kinds of issues, right? There's there's really truly plot significant issues that you have to read 
to really mm. kind of get the whole fabric of Claremont. There's issues that are maybe not plot significant, but they still establish something that's reused and 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 that is referenced, which I think this is. And then there's kind of just the totally random ones, like the Moses Magnum in Japan thing, where it's like very rarely referenced, not a key story, not really something you have to read to understand the X-Men. Not that it's never, ever name-checked again, but like you don't need to understand that to understand X-Men. Whereas yeah. Arcade pops up enough in enough different X-Men books that like it's kind of nice to have this reference of like, oh, the first time Arcade ever fought the X-Men it's because Black Tom and Juggernaut hired Arcade. Like This is information that's useful to have. Mm -hmm. And I just think that you know, as much as people say, oh, read from the beginning of Claremont, 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 like I'm always beating the drum. It doesn't turn into the kind of like everything is significant until 160. There's still issues like this where it's like, oh, yeah. cute. Um, yeah. But then when you go oh, back and read them all in? together, when you go back and read them all together, it, it creates this fabric of everything because the thing that this really is about is Colossus. All three of these issues is Claremont trying to find a way to focus on Colossus really mm -hmm. for the first time. And something that really strikes me in 122, and I want to hear you both respond to this, is he's now experienced a year or two since two Christmases have gone by of X-Men. What is it, right? Professor Xavier came to him with this, sell him this bill of goods. Come to my school from the farm. I'm going to train you in your power. But we all know that Professor Xavier only really needed him to like break everybody out of Krakoa. That was the whole point of that. And to the extent that Professor Xavier has other incentives to have all the X-Men around, mm -hmm. fine. But this is not a, a, a summit on that. What is Colossus really getting out of this? He's got some amount of training. He's seen the world. He's made some friends. But like, why should he stay here rather than go back and be with his family? And I think that that's really the interesting underlying question that starts out even before he's, uh, you know, convinced to be the, the proletariat hero here. And it is put a cap on by Claremont in this, I think, really brilliant classic X-Men story, which we can start weaving in some reactions to if you want. Yeah. And that's what's missing from here. There's no yeah. end. It's kind of just like, oh, ha, 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 Colossus had doubts, and so they used him against us, but now he's better. But really, it's it's, it's a much bigger story that needed him to return to Russia to finish it. So that's yeah. my diatribe. What did you think? Is My questions are, is there something in the, the X-Men for Colossus, and did we really need an end to the story that Claremont gives us in Classic 30? Freya? So the thing is, like, it's actually... I can relate to his thing, you know, based on like, you know, how he had to go back. And then when he go back, it's like, oh, this is not I'm the sorry, Russia 29. I left. I'm sorry, Class X yeah. 29, continue. <clears throat> no, no, I mean, this is not the Russia I left or this is not the Russia I'm uh, fantasized, I'm nostalgic about. But then of all the people, and I think someone actually mentioned it within the story, he's the only one who had family. Right. You know, his family mm -hmm. was supportive. They actually love him, loved him and like, or love him still. And then it's like he comes from a tight knit, close community. So for him, he doesn't see X-Men as family or he doesn't need to see them as anything more than oh, another group of friend. Right. right. So I think it makes perfect sense that he is not interested in staying in X-Men. But then if you also look into the the issue 29 story and all the things that's already going in Russia and stuff like that, Russia actually like, you know, brainwashed their, I mean, I guess that's true for every country. Um, like, you know, in terms of like the nationalism and then you have to fight for Russia and all of that. So I think that plays 
a little bit role, like in our guilt that, oh, I left my country behind. Um, you know, so maybe that's, I mean, so it kind of makes perfect sense that he's having all these feelings. Um, do we need Arcade to figure that out? Probably not. <laughs> but we found, we got there and we got to issue, like the classic 29. So I'm glad, like, you know, I'm glad that we got that because without classic mm. 29, it doesn't have the same depth. Hmm. Tyler, what did you think? I mean, I agree with the um, the point about the the classic twenty nine giving it a lot more depth than what you have in these three issues. Um, the 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 problem, I mean, not problem, but like the thing with Colossus is that um, this it kind of establishes him here as the um, as the one who is in some way a little bit of an outsider and 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 the fact that he's i mean it comes way later i mean it comes into play way later when he passes through the siege perilous so um and and then it sort of like ties in a little bit to what he actually wants which is like you know a really simple life and and that that story bit has been done many a times with colossus even like current era colossus it's like every time he gets sad or whatever, the, the next thing that they did with him was like, oh, he wants a simple life. He becomes a farmer. He becomes an artist. And, you know, so so um, in some ways, these three issues is not significant. But then in some, in, in a bigger, you know, in the bigger scope of things, this, this sort of becomes the defining character of Colossus. That, mm. you know, he is not someone with a huge ambition. He's not someone who is going to who wants to be like oh you know I'm a superhero I need to save the world. No, I think he is like um, I want a simple life, a simple happy life. Well, I think that that's it's interesting because the thing that pulls him out in this arcade issue is basically mm -hmm. the power of love. He's he's cured of communism by the power of love of his friends, but that really reflects where his values lie. Right, mm -hmm. his values lie in family and in love and in relying on each other. You know, we, we have this long going plot about how Storm views him as a brother and he views, as, you know, Nightcrawler as a brother. And being cured of, of this hypnotism by the power of love is kind of like him going like, gosh, there's people that I loved already and I, I haven't even done any, I've even stopped sending them letters. And yeah. so we roll into Classic X-Men 29 where Storm flies him across the North Pole and drops him off in uh, Russia. And he goes back to visit the family farm and his family are delighted to have him back. It's one of the most mm -hmm. heartwarming homecomings that any X-Men character has ever received, really. <laughs> and the thing True. that becomes interesting about it is, you know, there's a truck, there's a runaway truck, and it's going to explode very similarly to the ways he expresses his powers in the original giant-size X-Men with the tractor. Mm -hmm. We get to see little Ileana. We all get excited by that. <laughs> and in using his powers to save their kind of little commune um, from the truck exploding and, and burning down their farm, everybody's really happy with him. Nobody's discriminating against him for being a mutant. But the, the KGB gets wind of that. And they're like, well, you've defected. So we've got to take you into custody because not only for defecting just as anybody, but defecting as a mutant who could be serving your country. But then there's this other really interesting point, and then I'll turn it over to the two of you, that comes out in his conversation with who I think is a pretty ethical, moral KBG, KGB agent here, which is you're upset because all your friends got sent to war and died. 
and, and you feel bad about that. But we could have never sent you to war because that would unbalance our relationship with America and the Cold War. We've agreed we're not going to send superpowered people into war. Mm -hmm. So we would put you to good use. Don't worry. But your fate was never going to be their fate. You were never going to be on the war on the battlefield to save them. That was never an option for you. And in a way, that kind of absolves him of this guilt because he realizes he was not destined for the life that all the other young kids on his commune were ever going to be destined for. That's a lot. And it's a lot built into immigrant chat here that we have with the three of us. Freya, what do you think of that whole Colossus story? No, I mean, everything that you said is true. And then we also recently, I was actually kind of thinking about because the 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 soldier who um, who tells him that, oh, you left or you defected. You know, right. I think it's like one of the neighborhood uh like he grew up with yeah his friend he grew up with and he didn't have a arm so i was actually kind of thinking about uh punisher um punisher soviet a new six issue uh max max series that garth ennis wrote because that is actually based on that war that really that yeah it's based on that russia afghanistan war um and then there was a like you know a soldier out of that who works with punisher in present day uh to take care of some business. Um, but the thing is the portrayal of that and actually because, you know, Ennis is very good at writing war story and some of the things that they have written or that they have show over there, it's like, it's vicious. It's so, I completely understand where the soldier is coming from because they did not have a good, like they, nothing worked for them. You know, it was like a lot of things that was going wrong. Um, but the thing is that at the same time, you know, it, it makes sense that, you know, he, he is someone with, his power manifests in like you know in physical strength right something that is perfect for war situation and he wasn't there so it just like he was already feeling guilt he already having doubt and then that happened so that just kind of validated his doubt until he met that one kgb agent and thank god for that because if it was someone else <laughs> we would never see colossus again but then yeah, that would be the end you know of so yeah yeah that would be the end of colossus um so yeah i think like you know it just it, he kind of got permission to go be an X-Men, you know. How but then, uh, oh, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, and the last thing I was gonna say though, you know, Eliana is like, yeah, I want to be a mutant. I'm like, oh, girl, you have no idea what's coming your way. She's like, when do I get my armor? I'm like, oh, yeah, no. I know. <laughs> oh, girl, don't ask for that. Tyler, <laughs> be a kid. Well, I mean, this is also, I mean, on, on the on the point on Eliana is like she's also. Um, this is also written post whatever yeah. happened to magic so so you know claremont could see that those interesting things there um mm. yeah i mean i i, I just like I, I mean i like the story um i'm not sure about the whole um you know international agreement thing um uh, like did it stem from the fact that like captain america was in world war Two? And 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 therefore they are like oh you know no 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 more superheroes in in in, in conflicts like that, and 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 um yeah, I I don't know or were they like, was he lying? I mean I don't yeah. know about the history of Marvel like you know in that era to know that if there was mm -hmm. any other soldier uh, another super superheroes that was actually in war. Yeah. I, again, no, I, I really read it as a Cold War thing, and I have no okay. support on that from any other books. I'm sure if 
Avengers of that period maybe probably would have some comments on it. But I kind of just saw it as like a deproliferation thing of like, we won't bring our super soldiers if you won't bring yours. Maybe also it's an Iron Man because Iron Man often fights Mm. with um, Crimson Commando. But, Uh, and also, you know, Black Widow. But but I don't know anything past that speculation because I don't really know late 70s, early 80s Marvel super well outside of X-Men. And, I mean, the thing that like struck me was like you know this wasn't a story where where he he showed his powers and everyone was like oh this is a mutant let's chase him down like we are not in that era yet so it's it's more like oh you know you use your power to save the um to save us from the explosion everyone is happy you know and then you know of, of course then comes the question of like you know why are you not there to save me when we were fighting like a war and things like that um i i, I, I like it um the story that's all i can say about this and um you know we um you know the, the previous episode we talked about patriotism and 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 this story did strike that kind of um chord with me like you know thinking about um being uh patriotic to your um to your own country and uh and how 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 you know it affects your view of things and and what you do um and i think very um very significant to me would be um the the um what do you call that uh the regret or the the fact that you feel like you owe your parents because you're not there for them mm. um, is is, ve- is is a feeling that I get really strong from this story as well. Uh, as in like, you know, I'm not there for you um, because I'm away doing something else. And, and, and the feeling of like um, that, you know, you, 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 you owe them something because, you know, they, they, they are your parents. They took care of you when you were younger. And, you know, like even though you are, you know, you you even you know even though they don't really need you to take care of them now, but um, you're not there actually, and 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 that that makes me, uh, that sometimes you know have have that have that particular thing that makes me feel like um, I am uh, I'm not uh, filial to them, uh, um, you know the, the the whole concept of filial piety mm. um, plays into this whole 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 thing. Uh, so so yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that feeling here. Um, yeah, I think I mean all of I I find this fascinating. This actually is one of my favorite classic backups. I would say, if you're a Colossus fan, this is a must read. I think this mm-hmm. really establishes a lot of things about his character, and you know he as we've all commented upon, he's kind of absolved of needing to stay. The the agent basically says, I couldn't hold you anyway, so leave if you're going to yeah. leave really interesting to contrast with what happened with Wolverine in the Alpha Flight story that we covered last episode, where they're like, you don't have a choice. You are an agent of the government. You are coming with us. But he still could easily leave and did. But here it's kind of the opposite side of that. I think the one point we didn't really touch on is his art, right? Which hasn't really been a huge point in Claremont's original Uncanny Run, but he's inserting a lot in these issues because Mm. he knows that he's going to be continuing to use that plot. And the way his parent, it's his way of trying to share his American life and his fantastical life with his parents. And when they look at his art, they almost don't believe it. Like they know that he's an X-Men, they understand he's on adventures, but they can't tell the difference between the heightened reality of the art and and what's real life. And I think that that Mm. really struck me 
in a similar way to what Tyler's talking about in terms of, you know, filial responsibility is that as you kind of grow older and you have different experiences that your par- than your parents and your life is separate from your parents, it's hard sometimes to like tune them into the reality of who you are, whether that's something about your identity or something about the challenges that you're facing or your career or your family or whatever. And it's kind of like they, they, they still can't tell the difference between a story that a kid would tell them and the reality of your life. Maybe some of your parents do, maybe if you have a good relationship with your parents, but that's something I definitely have experienced and have friends that experience. And it's like, here, there's no judgment, right? They, they still take yeah. the pictures and they're like, they're beautiful pictures. And they don't ask a lot of questions about it, but it just kind of really resonated that like once you leave home, um, it's it, it's often the fact that your reality never really is the same reality as your parents' reality ever again. Right. So as of right now, Rasputins and the uh, Guthries are the only accepting parents in Mutant World that I found. There's a few and then, others. And I mean, then there's all... Oh, sorry, sorry, no. pretty cool with yeah. Gene. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then Summers. Family, yeah. Cy- well, Cyclops is, yeah, because he's just jet setting in alien, you know, so he doesn't quite have say. Well, his but grandparents yeah. are quite nice, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm keeping count in the number mm-hmm. of accepting mutant parents, and there's mm-hmm. not a lot. Now, we can parents. parents. They are a trip. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, they did. He did go on a dinner with them, right? I think they're like semi getting there, kind of thing. Well, depending on which, like you're talking about the Cena Grace. uh, Yeah. No, I just meant from the Iceman miniseries from the '80s, where he like goes back (laughs) home, and they're like, "What a loser you are! Why don't you just be an accountant?" Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Couldn't couldn't you try not being a mutant? Which, of course, is anyway. We're gonna get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's an Omega Power mutant. Yeah, just try to not be. Uh, so there is one more classic X-Men issue to fit in here, which is classic X-Men mm-hmm. 30. It's a, Arcade basically gives himself a therapy yeah. session in Murder World. Um, in, in the actual X-Men issues here that we read, basically Arcade is the son of like this super rich person and he mm. gets kicked out for not making anything of himself when he becomes an adult. And so he's like, oh, I'm going to make something of myself. And so he makes Murder World. I like to, I like to like in my head picture what that would be today. Like if we had to, if we were doing like Ultimate Marvel Universe and we were remaking Arcade for 2021, like I feel like he would be like an over the hill TikTok influencer. But anyway, th- that's just <laughs> something that popped into my head. So basically this is him encountering that he, he was, he suffered a lot more abuse at the hands of his father. Mm. And and um, I don't know that it's trying to absolve or explain Murder World. It's just saying, and he's a murderous, you know, game-playing yeah. crazy person. Maybe he's always been that, but he also had a tough childhood. Is there anything else yeah. really to say about this arcade backup story? I well, it's, it just it's just that, like, you know, if you really want something weird and creepy, just just get Anno Senti to write it. Yeah, and oh! she's weird. She's strange. She wrote both of the creepy oh. issues that we didn't have great feelings about before. She wrote a very strange run of uh, Daredevil. Yeah. yeah. So look. Oh, that's... I met I met Innocente. She is she tracks. creepy in real person? Were you, did you yeah, get creepy vibes? I mean, I mean, she is like very much of uh, like, you know, 70s hippie. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, oh, that's like, you know, she's like, but um, Louis Simonson, I was like, yeah, she would put someone in an egg. Because she didn't like them. <laughs> like, you know, so, so yeah, I think those two ladies, I mean, they become the editor later on of the, yeah, and yeah. then they track, it tracks <laughs> from well, my next... five minute conversation with both of them. No, but next... I do have a question. Like, um, 
did did you did did the both of you think that Arcade is like a teen? He's teenager? young. I think he's yeah. as young as the X Men. Okay. I I put him as like late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, that was what I got from the original Arcade story. But this this particular um, backup story placed him as way younger. But isn't it his idea, like his imagination of him? No, but no, the but present like, day one though. Yeah, the oh, present day one. Oh, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Maybe it's just the art. Yeah, I, well, I mean, also, I kind of see it as he broke out on mm-hmm. his own to start having this business, and he's not super well established, but he's known. So, like, if he, if he was kicked out at eighteen and he spent a couple years bumming around and gathering these resources, and then he built Murder World, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think he's older than like twenty five. Got it. I don't know. That's me. That's my take on it. But in mm-hmm. comic world, that means he's twenty one because everyone is so established so fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway. Well, there you go. It's our first encounter with Arcade and the X-Men, and we've got this Mm -hmm. one wrapped now. For next time, we're going to be reading Uncanny X-Men Annual 3, which fits in here. It has to. It actually is a note in the issue. It says that it happens here. Uh, But because that's only one issue, uh, we are all going to throw in two other things. So one thing is Marvel Team-Up 89, which we probably could have squeezed in before these classic X-Men issues, but it happens around the same time, and it's a Nightcrawler Mm -hmm. team-up with Spider-Man, and it's actually really like a full-issue Nightcrawler story. So we're going to move that into the next issue and we're also going to tackle the backup from classic x-men 31 as tyler i think alluded to earlier it probably could have just been read right when we had that professor xavier cutaway scene in our first issue today so we're going to read it in the next episode as well so for next time uncanny x-men annual 3 which if you're looking for it on marvel unlimited it's just under x-men annual 3 uh marvel team up 89 (laughs) and classic x-men 31 backup story and the reason we get together and do this is because we have different recollections of it from the first time around, but especially the, the three of us and who we are today and kind of how this turns into immigrant chat. There's a lot of new things to say and feel about a story like the Colossus story here that makes it so much more than just the first arcade story. And that's one of our favorite reasons to get together and do this because why, Faria? X-Men is better when it's read together. That's right. So we are so happy to be reading it together, the three of us, and we're so happy that you've chosen to come along with us on this journey. If you want to have a full X-Men reading order, just go to crushingcrisis.com. You can see the whole thing for the whole history of the X-Men and use that to read ahead if you want to. But we will see you next time here on the Epic X-Men Reread. And until then, be well. Be well.